Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing our look at the uh, gospel according to Matthew, and we are trying to figure out who these wise men are who come to see the baby Jesus after his birth. And so my argument is is that we've got to go back to the book of Daniel, and we've got to understand why they would have been motivated to seek after this king of the Jews when they didn't recognize and worship in the same way. But they they were impressed with Daniel, and, and because God moved him to Babylon and gave him great wisdom and revealed great mysteries to him, these men, these magi, these wise men from the east— continued to study the scriptures in which they saw Daniel was made wise. Now, you can study scripture again and again and again and still not be able to be the ones who to whom mysteries are revealed. God chooses whom he wills in order to do that. But it's a, it involves, first, recognition that he is the Most High God and that no other gods compare with him. It's the recognition, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. You can't just get it by reading the book again and again and again. If you don't read it with faith, if you don't read it with that understanding, then you're never going to get it. It, That that recognition, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that's the way to receive greater wisdom, because now we know where it comes from. And we know that God alone can open my eyes and open my mind by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit in order that I can know things that are otherwise unknowable. That's actually a philosophical proposition from the uh, late 19th, early 20th century from William James. And what he said was, is there are sources of knowledge that are only available to those who, who pick those up in faith. And, and that faith itself, which, is, which he calls precursive faith, which means you come to that, that text with faith beforehand. And that's what the whole purpose of the podcast is, is to say that I have faith and now I'm seeking understanding. But it be, everything begins with faith and it ends with faith because it begins with the recognition of, of your own um, um, un, being unqualified and you could be disqualified as a wise person because you don't have the schooling, you don't have the whatever. It's the same accusation that was thrown against the apostles. These are unlearned men. And then they recognized that they were with Jesus. And because they were with Jesus, they had access to power and wisdom that they couldn't have had any other way. They recognized that. The Sanhedrin recognized that about Peter and John. And that's the issue here is, is that Daniel is a learned man. But coupled with faith, he trusts God to reveal things to him, and God does because he comes in faith. And so now the Nebuchadnezzar has died. We're in the fifth chapter of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has died. His son Belshazzar has taken over, and he's not a good guy at all. And he gets a vision that the end of his kingdom is going to come, and he was greatly alarmed by what he saw. And what did he do? He called. He, he declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's going to be lifted up high. If you can tell me what this means, 
And who did they bring in? The enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. So they all came in, but they couldn't read the writing that was on the wall where the hand appears and writes, many, many, take Ufarsen, on the wall. They couldn't read it or make known to the king its interpretation. He was greatly alarmed, but the queen, his wife, remembered something. Which is interesting because in the the beginning of the book of the Exodus, it begins with, then a pharaoh arose who didn't remember Joseph. Well, this Belshazzar doesn't remember Daniel, but the queen does. And so the queen declares that there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. She's gone back to that appellation about holy gods rather than the holy god. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So he, he has the right spirit. Now, this is similar, like I said, in many ways to the Joseph story, except the queen remembers Daniel, and the Pharaoh didn't remember Joseph. It's also, in my mind, very much like Solomon. The wisdom Solomon possessed was greater than that of anything in the world, and people came to Jerusalem to see that wisdom. Here, God has moved Daniel to Babylon so that he can be a witness to the greatness of God before this pagan king. So Daniel was brought in, and he, the king answered and said, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they couldn't. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you'll be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. I don't want them. I don't want to be. I don't want a gold chain and wearing purple and being the third ruler in the kingdom. No, I don't want that. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Daniel has great faith here. Again, he's in a situation for the third time where he is confident that he can know things that all these Babylonian wise men can't know. And so he says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. His glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So there's an ultimate ruler, and you're not it. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart in spite of the fact that you had this example of your father that I just told you about in case you didn't know. You've not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven 
and the vessels of this house have been brought in before you of his house. Sorry, these they were they, his, he was having the setting was he was having a big party, and they had brought in the vessels from the temple in Jerusalem to use. They had profaned God's holy things. You've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which don't see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and who whose are all your ways, you have not honored. So you've given thanks to all these other things. You've worshipped idols that are mute. You've worshipped idols that are not even uh, real things. They were created things. And because of that, you're going down. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. This is the num- interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple, a chain of gold put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So Belshazzar is now overthrown, and a new king takes his place, and a new kingdom. So in the same kind of way that after Solomon's death, his king, the kingdom was split into two, here Belshazzar, his kingdom is being taken away from him. So Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the thing that he worked and built, the thing that God gave him, didn't last even one generation. And it was taken away by the Persians. So Darius is now the new king, and he is a Persian. And it pleased him to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. So he's divided it up. You can see the same thing in, uh, in the book of Esther, by the way, that's broken up in this way. So there was 120 satraps to be without throughout the whole kingdom. One of the things to know here is, is that even after the exile— the vast majority of those who had gone into exile stayed. And, and that's why in Talmudic studies, for instance, which is sort of the oral tradition, the oral history, the, not the oral history, but the oral law, that, that debate, all of that, that figures out how do we apply the law in weird circumstances. So that whole thing, there are two of them. There's one that's called the Jerusalem Talmud because, well, that's where it was, and the other is called the Babylonian Talmud. Well, here's the thing to know. The Babylonian Talmud is actually the default to settle most disputes. It's actually seen as better scholarship because these exiles stayed there and and poured themselves into this and had to apply it in pagan settings. And so it's considered to be a superior Talmud to the Jerusalem Talmud because the scholars were considered superior in that place. And so there's a huge Jewish presence there, not just Daniel and his three friends. They stayed there for a very long time. So he set these hundred—Darius sets up these 120 satraps, and over them three high officials. So there's 120, and then there's three over them, and of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. In other words, they're—, they're tax collectors, their overseers that make sure that, that nothing is lost, whether that, that be the, the group over here being lost under your leadership or that the revenues would not continue to come in. So Daniel is over some of these 120. He and two other men are over these people. And we see that in uh, one of the biggest problems that you see in, in the book of Esther, 
for the for the that they raise up to kind of cast doubt upon the Jews has to do with hey there's this group of people and it's a pretty numerous group of people it's similar to to the situation in Egypt at the time of um, of Moses and that is is that that there's a there's a concern that these people outnumber us and we better put the thumb down on them because they don't worship the same gods and that's constantly a problem because these people won't bow down and worship this so daniel's raised up he was distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him so it's recognizable even to this new king this persian king that daniel has an excellent spirit in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom you can see where this is probably going to go, right? There's going to be some jealousy among those high officials in the satraps, and sure enough, so they found a ground to complain about him, but they couldn't find anything. There was no fault in him because he was faithful, and they said, we can't find any fault against him unless we find it in connection with the law of his God, which is exactly the same thing that, that happens in the book of Esther, that, that it's because they won't worship the same God or gods. These high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and governors are all agreed. The king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it can't be changed according to the laws of the Medes of the Persians, which cannot be revoked. In other words, once it's set in stone, then it can't be revoked. Again, you see this in the book of Esther, that the king makes a proclamation, and that proclamation has to be carried it out. He can't revoke it. It's sort of like what Roman Catholics believe about the pope when he makes certain kinds of pronouncements, the pronouncements ex cathedra from the throne, those can't be overturned. That's what papal infallibility means. You, you can't back up. If he said it, and he was speaking ex cathedra, in other words, intentionally setting some uh, point of doctrine, then, then you can't change it. And that's the way it was with the Medes and the Persians. So Darius did that. Daniel knew that that had been signed. I mean, he, he, was, he, he was an important personage, and he went up uh, into his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks to God as he had done previously. Daniel didn't change his habits at all. He knew who was God. He had seen it over and over again. These Persians needed proof in ways that the Babylonians had already seen that proof. Some of them probably could have looked and said, hey, hey, guys, that's not going to go in a good direction. It's a really bad plan for you to do that. We, we've seen how this kind of thing works out. And so they, they know, these officials do, that Daniel's doing this, and so they come to the king and they make the complaint. And they've backed the king into a corner because he has to carry out the punishment. They said, hey, you've already done this. They tricked him into doing this, knowing exactly what they had. their plan was to force the king to throw Daniel into the lion's den. So the king was much distressed. He didn't want to kick Daniel out. Daniel was the best guy he had. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So the king said, Okay, and he put him into the lion's den, and he prayed to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And he did. <laughs> so at daybreak, he goes to see Daniel in the lion's den. And Daniel 
As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They've not been harmed. They've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. In the same way that he had done with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in protecting them from the harm that was aimed against them. The king was glad, commanded Daniel be taken up out of the den. No harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions with their children and their wives. Before they even reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And so then Daniel, Darius makes a decree that all, in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel has prospered under Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. He was prospering under Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, until that kingdom was taken away from him and given to the Persians. And so then he prospered under the reign of Darius, and then after that, under the reign of Cyrus. Because of God, again and again and again, that it doesn't matter who it is, so the, the Babylonians got to see the power of God, the Persians get to see the power of God, and, and they can't deny it. And therefore the king proclaims who the real king is, and that would be Daniel's God, the one called Yahweh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.